Last Sunday was um, super special for me because I had some guests that I got to got to sit with and 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 worship with, um, and 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 Brad and and Taryn had known known these guys for a long time. But uh, a girl named Ashley, um, her name was Hurst at the time, was in my youth group, and 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 I remember when she was only in about seventh grade that she wanted to talk to me, and she came in my office, and um, she broke down crying because her friend at school wasn't a Christian and was praying for her friend with that kind of fervor. And, and the reason I share that story is because when, when she left my office, I started crying and I started thinking, my God, teach me that kind of love for the lost. And secondly, I prayed, my God, keep this purity in this girl. Because in seventh grade, I knew all of the challenges that, waited her, that awaited her life. And she was going to face some major ones. And to be able to spend last weekend staying up late with she and her husband, thanking God for everything God has done in their lives, to see what he's brought them through. And we talked about worshiping together again and how special that was for us. And that really relates to what I wanted to talk to you guys about today. Um, Youth ministry was crazy for me because the first, I'd say, you know, four to seven years that I was in in it... um, was one thing, but then a lot of my kids in that time period fell away from their faith, died in car accidents, um, suffered incredible tragedies in their lives. And I, I was able to look back and say, man, this is so serious. This is so serious what we're doing. When someone gives their life to Christ, Satan immediately wages war on that person's soul. And it becomes such a reality and it changed my approach to it, realizing these people that are in front of me, these people that I'm working with and talking to, these little seventh grade girls or boys, I, I'm thinking, God, help help them. I'm, I want you to just protect them from the evil one. That is what you're going to be witnessing in the next couple of chapters. When we're looking at this narrative of, of Christ with his disciples in the upper room sharing this this last supper and then when they're in the garden, um, I know that Da Vinci immediately paints the picture of what the upper room was. And I know none of us really think it was that way. But just as Da Vinci has shaped the modern image of this Last Supper and distorted it, the garden also, I think, has been distorted in modern theology. I don't think it's about what many people think it's about. I want to really focus on what the Garden of Gethsemane is about. That's in a couple of weeks. Today, I'm going to be building up to that, looking at the Last Supper and looking at his conversation with with Peter. But um, before I get into this, I want to introduce you to, um, and I want to get your last name right, uh, Christian Sholdebo, are you are you here this morning? Christian, would you mind standing up? Um, this is Christian. Y'all welcome him into the family. Uh, he was... Christian was, was baptized into Christ a couple weeks ago, and it, it's so cool because the name that I first met him by down at the park was Thor. Um, and I said, man, we already have a Thor here, bro. We got Brad, and he's going to be really offended if another Thor comes in, except he looks like Thor and you don't. Um, but, but he said something really cool to me this morning. I said, should I call you Thor or call you Christian? And he says, he says you'll call me Christian. It is so amazing how God is in the business of redeeming our names, giving us new names, and that is what I'm seeing happening over and over in the family here. Uh, Christian, you're surrounded by family here, and a lot of us have a very similar story. 
that um, God has given us a new name um, in him. I want you, uh, together as a family, I just want to, I want you to imagine that you're there, that you're, you're with Christ and these disciples during this last meal. And, and what this meal is, it's the, this is the Passover. And so before we, we get into that, I want you to remember what happened the last couple of weeks. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, everything in these last chapters happens within the span of a week. Now we're getting into the span of just hours, you know, that separate everything. But he rides in to the crowds shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That kind of welcome. The crowds. And it's just hours that separate that scene from the crowds crying out, crucify him. Right now, we're in our upper room, surrounded by pillows. They would be reclining. They're laying back and they're enjoying a meal together in peace. And only hours separate this from Peter denying Christ, Judas betraying Christ, everyone running away and him being led off to be crucified. In fact, by the time you get to Acts chapter 1, all of these crowds, we're told this, there were 120 disciples left in Jerusalem, Acts 1. That is what's going to happen in just the next short period of time is a thinning, a sifting. Something is going to happen to these people and they're going through pain and we're going to find out the, our real character. That's what's going on. But let's go back to the Passover. 400 years, Israel had been in slavery. For 400 years, think about that amount of time. 400 years longer than the United States has even been a nation. These people have probably convinced that God has forgotten them. 400 years. They haven't heard a thing. And then God speaks to Moses and they are redeemed and they stay up this night and they're supposed to tuck their cloak in their belt. They're supposed to eat standing up with their staff in hand, ready to go. And this unleavened bread... And this, this Passover dinner with the lamb and the wine would come to mean something. In fact, God says this in Exodus 12, you will do this from now on in memory of this. This will be a memorial for you for generations to come. This will be what you remember. 1300 to 1500 years have passed. After they run out of, come out of the, this exodus, they're baptized, we're told in 1 Corinthians, into Moses, in the cloud, and in the sea, they're immersed into it. And for 40 years in the wilderness, they are thinned. And generations rise and generations go, and, and God promised some of them, you will never enter my rest. Hebrews talks about how they fell in the desert and how it was a time of sifting for Israel. And then after 40 years, Jericho falls and they come in. That is what we're commemorating. That's what we're remembering. And they would sit down and, and what we did this morning, and, and it's been a puzzle for us for a long time, that most of you, like me, grew up in church taking this and knowing it's a cracker and knowing that we do it in memory of Jesus, but the depth and the history of this is inc- inc- unreal. And what they would do is they would break this and they would remember 
the manna that was given to them in the wilderness. They would remember God's provision for them. No matter what, that God took care of his people in the wilderness. For 1,300 years, that's what they did. And this, imagine you're in the room. This is the final time that you will take this meal together after all of these years until it is fulfilled in Christ. This is the final one before it is fulfilled in Christ. And Jesus takes the bread. I want to just read. This is Luke 22, verse 19. He took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The memorial of the Passover, Jesus just said, now you will do this to remember me, what I've done. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but Woe to the man who betrays him. They began to, to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Um, Jesus, you're going to see over this next uh, couple of weeks, you're going to see Jesus go into an intense period of great pain, of emotional hurt. I'm going to suggest to you that it is not because of fear, personally, of what is going to happen to him. I actually personally don't even think that's a part of it. I'll get into that in a couple of weeks. What we're told is this. He was filled with incredible sorrow and he has one thing on his mind. His disciples. That he knew that a time was coming and they were going to be tested. They were going to be tried. They were going to enter into a period of persecution. It's going to be the substance of his prayer in the book of John. It's going to be what we're told over and over again about this garden. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. I want to hold on to you. I want you to remain. And here he says to Simon Peter these words. This time it was totally my fault. Okay. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This verse has meant a lot to me for a long time for several reasons. One, the sifting of wheat. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But the fact that Jesus just said, I am praying for you. I'm lifting you up by name. I'm asking God to strengthen you. And you're going to see it in his prayer in a couple of weeks. We're going to go over to the book of John. And we're going to talk about him praying for these disciples. And how God's heart, Jesus' heart, hurts because he is so full of love for us. So full of love that we are the number one thing on his mind. That's why I don't like what we've done with the garden and making it about Jesus and his personal what he would go through, it's really clear textually in the Scripture that the weight on Jesus was his people. Paul said something very similar when he said, man, I've gone through persecutions, I've gone through shipwrecks, I've been night and day in the open sea. He talks about all these things he's been through, and he says this, 
But on top of everything else, my concern for the church, my concern for God's people, this is what's weighing on Christ. And he looks to Peter and he says, Simon, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. Now, someone showed something to me a couple of years ago that I want to share with you. Greek words usually bore me. This one is important, and it actually transforms the entire text. This is this verse in Greek. Um, and I just want you to look at this one word, humas. It's plural. It's not singular. And that transforms the entire message. I used to think that this verse was saying, Simon, you're about to go through some hard stuff, but man, you've read First Peter. Well, it hadn't been written yet, but you know what Peter's going to say, that man, that you're going to be purified as gold and you're going to come out and all this stuff is just going to make you a stronger person. I believe all that's true, but that's not what Jesus is saying. This verse is much darker than that. This verse is in the plural, which means he's saying this, Listen, my disciples are about to be sifted like wheat. In other words, some of them are going to leave. They're going to abandon their faith. They're going to walk away. But I've prayed for you that you won't. That you will hold on. That nothing is going to take you away. Remember, this already happened. When the disciples abandoned Christ and he turned and he looked at Peter. And he said, are you going to go as well? And he said, I have nowhere else to go. You have the words of life. That is what's happening in this verse. Not a personal sifting, but a sifting of the disciples. Because they're about to go through a time of intense trial. Now, I brought some wheat this morning. And Colton and Abigail have have said that they're going to sift this for me. So I'm going to get you guys to come up and and sift wheat. Um, And your goal here is to... Do better than I'm doing. Okay. You have to bring me as many kernels as you can of wheat. I don't know you call them kernels, um, but yeah, kernels of wheat. And I want to talk about what it is to sift wheat real quick in just a second. We'll see how they do. I've only done it with one, so I haven't tried this ahead of time. But I was thinking about all the verses in the New Testament that talk about this divide, dividing. God said, Jesus said this in Matthew 25. I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. He told a parable about, I'm going to separate the weeds from the wheat. Another parable, I'm going to say, how many parables have to do with at the end, when this judgment's coming, when this trial is coming, I'm going to separate this from this. John the Baptist talked about it. Jesus told another parable about wheat, in which he said a farmer went out and sowed seed in his field. And he said, but the, the evil one came and snatched it away. And you're looking at the exact same thing happening right now in these verses. Things have been good. We're reclining at a table together. We're family. We're celebrating the Passover. But now, just like Israel went to a time of testing in the wilderness, and they were sifted, and they fell in the desert and only some made it, he said, you're about to go to a very similar period where you are going to be tested. Um, before I test you guys and see where you're at on, on sifting the wheat, I want to ask you this question. Um, and I've gotten into this before, because I, but I want to stay on, on topic here. Um, think about the church today and what issues the churches of today face. What kinds of things divide us? What kinds of things represent us? Who we are as people? And I, I'm curious how much... And I thank God for the comforts we've been given, the freedoms we've been given, the luxuries we've been given. 
that they're barely staying alive in the first century. And here we are with a church on every corner. Some of them are named after spas. Some of them are named after senior citizens. I mean, we have weird names. We chose Metal Ark instead of Nighthawk. We're working on that. <laughs> but you think about all the freedom we've been given. How would Christianity be transformed today? Were we to enter into a serious period of persecution? Now, I'm not saying that we don't, because we are thinned out daily by guilt, um, by um, our own sin taking a hold of us. We're thinned out by lack of forgiveness, broken hearts when we get angry with God and refuse to come back. We are being sifted like wheat by all of these things. And there are people that don't wear the name Christ today that I have loved with all of my heart, and you have too, and I want you to put somebody on your heart that I remember sitting with and singing and watching them sing praises to God, and now I will turn on Facebook or whatever else and see them cursing the same God they used to praise. How many people that I used to love and I still love with all of my heart that I prayed for them, and now they've abandoned their faith and they've abandoned Christ. And people in your own life that are the same thing. What happened? And I, I really do believe that us, okay, I'm going to go ahead and come back to you and see how you've done. It is a competition. Um, Abby, where are you at? Are these all kernels or is that all? Kernels. Okay, okay, okay. What you got, what you got, Colt? He, he hadn't done anything? No. Okay, okay. Well, that was easy. Um, I just want you to think about, okay, y'all are done. You did good. You did good. Okay, y'all can sit down. I want you to think about this image. What is it that causes, and I'm, I'm a city boy that knows nothing about farming, so forgive me, but what is it that causes the wheat to separate from the chaff? What is it that causes these two things to separate? The way you would do this in ancient times was to beat it. It went through severe beating. And then you would shake it, and then all of this stuff it goes through to purify what Psalms 1 paints it this way. The righteous are like a tree planted by streams of water. They yield their fruit in season and out of season. But the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. They can't stand in trial. Our faith, and I mean, I'm, I'm lifting up people that I love in this room. I'm lifting up Christian, a new, um, new Christian. Um, but I think about those that have just come to Christ. Some of you who are in this room and the trials that you are going through now are in the trials that still await maybe your life and what it's going to be. What is the one thing that Satan could use against you to sift you like wheat? Um, This is what's beautiful about these next couple of chapters. And I almost wish I was next week I was going to go into the garden. But Jesus praying fervently That night for the disciples. Did you know that in Exodus chapter 12, it says this about the night of the Passover? This is verse 41. At the end of 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord 
for generations to come. Did you catch that? It said this, that night the Lord kept vigil over Israel. Now, 1,300 years later, the Lord is keeping vigil. He's staying up and He's going to be praying in the garden for one thing, that they may be one, Father. As you and I are one, that they also may be one in us. I pray that won't lose one of them. I pray for them that their faith may not fail. Then He comes to the disciples and He's going to say, Why are you sleeping? Pray that you will not fall in temptation, in the testing. Pray that your faith may remain strong. When I first came to Christ, um, I remember praying this prayer. Um, God, I pray that I will never survive. I will never enter into a life on this earth where I disown you. I pray, and it's actually, I found out later, it's in a song that we sing. Lord, may I never, ever outlive my love for you. I pray that you would take my life before I would ever disown you on this earth. Um, I prayed about what message to kind of bring out this morning. Um, And a lot of this we'll get back to uh, when we get into Gethsemane. But I was thinking about those that are in this room this morning and how many new Christians are here. And I praise God for so much that's happening through so many of you and an outreach. But I want to learn to pray for you. And I want us to learn to pray for each other the way Jesus fervently prayed for his disciples. Lifting one on another up and carrying the weight of one another Um, my prayer is that not one person in this room, and I I hope you know we think bigger than this room, but not one person in this room would walk away from their faith without their brothers and sisters fighting for them, wrestling for them in prayer. Um, All of the things that define churches today, the way you sing in a worship service, um, the way the preacher dresses, the way the building looks, and even getting into weird doctrines that are out there everywhere. All of those things, I think, Satan has used to distract us from more serious issues. The one thing that defines us as Christians is not any of that, really. The one thing that defines us as Christians is our love for one another and our love for Christ. That is the simplicity of what it is to wear the name Christ. And it's okay that we, in our freedom and everything that we've had, that we, we, we I celebrate everything that's happening in churches. I just pray that we won't get distracted from that one thing. Because Satan is wreaking havoc on people's lives. And Satan is killing people we love. And Satan has one goal. It began with Cain. When God sat down, Cain, and he he said, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. It goes into Job, where Satan approaches God and demands permission to sift Job in a very similar way. Happened with Joshua and the prophets. It happened with multiple places where the enemy comes and he demands to sift us as wheat to hurt somebody and to take their faith. 
My prayer for us this morning, and I do want to close this in this prayer, is that we would share the pain of these chapters of the book of Luke. That this won't just be an intellectual study, but we will feel Jesus' pain. Um, And again, not the pain of the cross or even some kind of weird thing about maybe God would leave Jesus, forsake him, and that's... No. The pain that he was enduring was this. Um, I don't want to lose one of these people that I love with all of my heart. Jesus is praying that same prayer today. He looks at his people and he hurts for us. He has pain for us. And he's praying this one thing, I don't want to lose one. So I want to pray, pray just a prayer of protection over God's people and his church today. When we celebrate the communion every week and we take a cracker and we take some juice, we're celebrating a Lord who is fervently keeping vigil over his people. And I want to pray the same prayer of protection over my life and your life and the church's body today. Um, I want to open this prayer, if it's okay, silently, by allowing you to pray for somebody in your life that you want God to redeem and that you want God to bring back. Let's pray. My Father, it just it really um, hurts me to hear you say the words that your disciples would be sifted as we to know that um, children that you love would would walk away from you. And I just want to lift up um, those that are on our heart today, and I pray God that we would learn to hurt like Jesus hurt in the garden. I pray that we won't simply celebrate a God who hurts and has a broken heart the way you do. But God, that we would share in that, that we would carry the weight that Jesus felt, your love for your children. And I pray, God, that you deliver us from all of those things that that would sift us today. Um, Comfort, guilt, whatever else. And I pray, Father, for strength and I pray for protection by your spirit. I pray, God, that you would not allow us to outlive our love for you. But, God, that you would be what defines our lives. Give us the kind of love for our brothers and sisters that causes us to go after them. And give us the kind of love that causes us to, to depend on you and to pray fervently, even to the point of sweat like drops of blood, kind of praying because of our, our passion for you. And for those that we love. Um, finally, Father, I just want to pray for um, those in this body that have come to you recently. I lift up Christian to you and I lift up those that, that have chosen to bear your name. I pray, Father, that um, you would protect them from the evil one and that they would grow in their faith and that you would not allow them to forget the passion and and the love and the commitment that they've made in you. This next year, going into 2020, I pray for protection over this body. 
that you'll guard us from everything that is from Satan, the pride, the jealousy, the anger, all of the stuff that can come up. And I ask God that we would be purified and that, um, like, you, like you said to Peter, that we would turn and strengthen our brothers, that you'd give us that passion. I love you, Father, for the example you've given us in Christ. I love you for demonstrating your, your love and your hurt through, through him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God.